Spies Jamin and Ruth, Chapter 29 of the Shakespeare Spy, so here I go. That evening after supper, and a round of shove of penny with the orphan boys, I was summoned to the library to give my daily report. So, how is the fortune trading now? asked Mr. Pope. I smiled in appreciation of his world play. Well enough, I pulled out my purse and jingled it. They gave me three pounds for the play, with three more to come. Mr. Pope gave a low whistle. Not bad for a novice playwright. Well, they assumed it was all Mr. Shakespeare's work, of course, as and though I didn't actually say it was, neither did I say that it wasn't. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the key to their code. I'll try again tomorrow. They weren't suspicious of me then. Not that I could tell. They considered the Chamberlain's men a bunch of blackguards already. So, so when I told them I'd been sacked unjustly, uh, it only served to confirm their opinion. What about our company? Did anyone suspect that it was all the sham news? Not according to Will. He says you played your part very convincingly. It wasn't difficult. I just imagined how it would feel and, and I were truly given the chuck. It's not as bad as I feared, though, being a member of the Admiral's men. They actually treated me quite kindly, except for Mr. Hensel, and even I was not altogether a swad. In truth, I feel a bit guilty for deceiving them. They've never had any such calms, you may be sure. Perhaps not. All the same, it's pity the two companies can't be on better terms. They're not blackguards either. They're just play. They're just players like us. I got a week. I got weakly to my feet. My throat's parched. I'm going to get a drink of ale. Shall I fetch some for you? No, thank you. I'm off to bed. You don't look as well as you might. I wish Mr. Armin and Mr. Shakespeare had not made you part of their scheme. The doctor said that you were not to be upset. He shrugged. They didn't want to send you off behind enemy lines, as it were, without my approval. Besides, I'm not upset. I'm only tired. It's something that happens when you get old, you know. I yawned. Then I must be getting old. Goody Willingson was in the kitchen, wiping clean the the supper dishes. As I drew a mug of ale from the keg, she slided up to the, to me and said softly, You know, if you were looking for a new name, you could do worse than take Mr. Pope's. He's been far more than more of a father to you than Redsa than that Redsa fellow ever was or ever would have been. That's so. I'm not certain I would care to have a son of an outlaw using his name, though. 
Do you really suppose that matters him? You once said yourself, it's not your heritage that matters, it's what you do with it. I, well, so far I haven't done much of anything, have I? I woke well before dawn and the next morning, but still had to hasten for for the walk to St. Gill's was a long one, and I could not abbreviate it by taking a wherry boat across the Thames. Though the ice in the middle of the river had broken up, there was still a wide border of it along the banks, too rotten to set foot upon. By the time I reached near St. Olive's, its bells were already ringing prime. Yet even though I was late, and even though it meant I going out of my way to do so, I could not resist passing by the church and pausing a moment to gaze at the steps where Judith was to have met me several days before. It was as though I hoped to find some trace of her still there, some small item that she might heedlessly have dropped, perhaps, or a faint scent of clothes lingering in the air. But, of course, there was nothing, not even the memory of a fan parting to console me. I hurried on. I need not have worried about my tiredness, for all Mr. Hensel's talk of running the fortune like a business, neither he nor any of the other players had arrived yet, only the tearing man, who fortunately had been instructed to let me into Mr. Hensel's office. Certainly, uh, certain that I would not have the place for myself so long, I set to work at once, not in the script of Timon, but on the assortment of books and papers that lay upon the shelf. After a few minutes of frantic searching, I found that what I was looking for at the back of the journal in which Mr. Hanwolf had been writing the previous afternoon. So much for the medical man of business that he was uh, was he that he had labeled the page in clerk's precise hand so there could be no doubt about what it contained cryfer key. beneath it this heading he had set down the neat rows as though he were doing accounts the following. I considered copying the symbols, but it would take long, so long that I risked being discovered. Instead, I drew my dagger and ran the point of it through the left margin of the page. Then I tore the cry for key from the book, tucked it inside my doublet, and returned the journal to its place. Within half an hour, I had finished translating Timon's passages of the charactery into the Queen's English. After straightening the, up the pages, stacking them neatly into the desk, I dipped Mr. Hensworth's pen into the inkwell and wrote carefully the top of the page, Timon of Athens, A Lamentable Tragedy, by James, I hesitated, 
only a moment before getting down the ladder half of rightful Arthur name Pope it was halfway back to cross keys before the irony of what I had written occurred to me Mr. Hensworth was so fearful of performing anything that smacked a a Catholic sympathies. Imagine how distressed he would be then to discover that he had paid good money for the play composed by a pope. At least he could console himself with the fact that it had cost him only three pounds instead of six we had agreed upon. No doubt I could have collected the other three if it if I had gone on pretending that the work was on Mr. Shakespeare's. But that would be unfair both to Mr. Henswolf and to Mr. Shakespeare. It, I had no qualms about keeping the three silver rings I had I already had, however. Surely, even with all its faults, my play was worth that much. The courtyard of Trotsky's was the scene of more frenzied action than a French farce. The company's two-wheel carts sat in the yard piled high with trunks full of costumes and property. Ned Shakespeare stood in the bed of one of the carts, shifting the trunks a few inches this way or that, with an intent look upon his face, as though he were performing some essential task. When he spied me, his apprehension changed to one of astonishment. What the devil are you doing here? I thought they'd given you the sack, and so they did. But, uh, but I've some unfinished business. Have you any notion where I might find your brother? He jerks his head toward the second floor balcony. Up there, fetching all the stuff that doesn't wait much, I wager. Mr. Shakespeare was, in fact, struggling to drag his desk across the floor of the office. When I entered, he gave a sigh of relief. Ah, wait. It seems you have the one quality essential to be a player. What's that? Good timing. Give me a hand with this infernal furniture, will you? We're moving back to the globe, I take it. Very preservative. Take hold. As we maneuver the desk out of the door and into the balcony, he said softly, between grunts of airport, any success? Aye, I've got the code. Excellent. He stood erect and rubbed at his old injury. Let's leave this for someone larger to wrestle with, shall we? Come. We went down to the dark parlor where Mr. Shakespeare, after ordering ale for both of us, drew from his wallet a coded message he had found on Mr. Henswolf. I, in turn, produced the cipher key and placed it before him. Where did you find this? I asked. 
in Mr. Hansworth's journal. He actually left you alone with it? Aye, that seemed to trust me. So did the most of the admirals men. I feel a bit as though I've betrayed him. Yes, I can see how you would. You also have that the other quality that makes a good player the ability to identify the others, to see things through their eyes. Unfortunately, you can't be very loyal to both of them and to us. I can that. But why does being loyal to this company mean that I had to hate the Amaro's men? They must be the rivals and not simply fellow players. All the theater companies in London want the same thing, as large as an audience as possible. That means that we that we're in a competition. Isn't there a, a, enough audience to go around? Besides, and the theaters closed down. None of us will have an audience. Could, would it not be better? And we performed an alliance or something to try and prevent that. Even Oxen has sense enough to pull together instead of always trying to un- outdo one another. Mr. Shakespeare was regarding me with a rather startled look. Prentices do not ordinarily speak their minds quite so forcibly. I'm sorry, I murmured. It's just, well, it puts me in mind a way the Catholics and Anglicans were at each other's throats while the Puritans despised them both. How can they be such deadly enemies when they all serve the same God? It seems to me that it's the same with us theater folk. We all serve the same God, do we not? Mr. Shakespeare was twisting his earring between thumb and finger and staring thoughtfully, but no longer at me. This gaze seemed fixed on something far off, as though he were trying to see all the way to St. Gill's and into the hearts of Dead Miles Men. There was a long stretch of silence during which Tapester brought our ale, and I began to regret that I had been so outspoken. Finally, Mr. Shakespeare said, You're very persuasive with words, which perhaps you'll make a playwright after all. I hope to try. But I'm not under the name of Wood. William, then? Nay, James. Oh, well, very well. Still in favor of William, myself. But James is a perfectly respectable name, especially as there's likely to be one on the throne. I hope you didn't choose it for the that reason. I laughed. Hardly. It's after me, father. You're taking his surname too, I suppose? Nay, I decided I broke off. It had not, I had not yet told Mr. Pope about, of my decision, and he would certainly be the first to know. I understand, said, said Mr. Shakespeare, even though I had not attempted to explain. Now, let us see if I can determine who our spy is, shall we? Because Mr. Hensel Cold provided more than one symbol for each letter of the alphabet, 
it took some uh, effort to de- des- decipher the message. As I completed each group of the words, Mr. Shakespeare read it aloud. Script of Sajanus finished. Company gone by Vespers. I'm close key to. As the last words emerged, letter by letter, Mr. Shakespeare trailed off, unable to speak them. I went back over the symbols, thinking perhaps I had translated them wrong, but there was no mistake. The final sentence read, I enclosed the key to my brother's office. So that was chapter 29. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya. See ya. Later, bye guys. Thank you.